0: Really actually accepting your dog for who they are and and letting go of this idea of who you think they should be or, and I said like, or who you thought they would be before they came into your life is, it's really freeing and it really can let you let go of a lot of baggage and actually just love your dog and focus on how you nurture them appropriately. Because
1: mm-hmm. they're not here
0: long enough yes. <laughs> to spend years yeah, trying reshape I- them into someone they're not.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the second season of Dog Lab. This is Brian Burton. First, thank you to the tens of thousands of listeners who tuned into season one. We had a lot of fun, and with your support, we won the Dog Writers Association of America's Best Podcast of 2020, something we are really proud of and wouldn't be possible without all of you. Based on feedback, the theme for season two is the role of dogs as family members, The lives that dogs live now are very different than how they existed through most of human history. And while this comes with benefits for dogs, it also poses new unique challenges. To help you navigate the season, the first episode is about Instinct's Nature Driven Nurture Framework, which helps people parent their dogs in a very individualized way. We hope that by providing this framework, it's going to help you put all the 12 episodes of Season 2 into context. Information on dog behavior and training can sometimes seem very piecemeal these days. Our goal is not to only provide access to some of the top dog behavior people in the world like we did in season one, but help you understand these topics and how it fits into the broader picture of your dog as a family member. Note that you can get a free mini version of our Nature Driven Nurture guide in the episode notes uh, to use as a reference throughout the season, or you can pre-register for the Nature Driven Nurture course at our online school at online onlineschool.instinctdogtraining.com, launching by hopefully the end of February. The course is much more in-depth and includes bi-weekly, which is every two weeks, dropping Q&As with instinct trainers, and access to our brand new Nature Driven Nurture Facebook group so you have community support as you try to understand your dog better and nurture them in the best possible way based on their individual needs. Details on the course, as mentioned, can be seen in the episode notes. Today's guest is Sarah Frazier. Sarah is co-CEO of Instinct Dog Training, Inc. and co-founder of Instinct Dog Behavior and Training. She oversees behavior and training related programming for all Instinct locations and for the Instinct Online School. She develops Instinct, Inc.'s internal policies and guidelines related to training and operations and is in charge of marketing, communications, and brand management. Sarah holds a master's in animal behavior and conservation from Hunter College at the City University of New York. She is a certified dog behavior consultant, certified family dog mediator, certified professional dog trainer, and a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner who has worked with thousands of New York City owners and dogs with severe aggression, fear, and anxiety issues. She has been featured as a dog behavior expert in media outlets including the New York Times, the New York Daily News, the New York Magazine, Martha Stewart. NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, PIX11 News, and many more. Remember to follow us on Twitter at doglab underscore podcast and email us any questions or topic ideas to doglab at instinctdogtraining.com. Finally, we are also trying something new this year by putting the video recordings up on YouTube in addition to podcast format. So if you like to watch your podcast, you can find the link in the episode notes uh as well. So without further ado, here is Sarah Frazier. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I'm a little nervous.
1: (laughs) Which is funny because you've actually helped host a couple of these, I think, uh, in season one. So yeah, you're in the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in the hot seat in episode one. Yep. Ready (laughs) to go
0: though. Excited to be here.
1: Cool. So Season two of Dog Lab is focused on the role of dogs as family members. And, you know, to help navigate this season and keep everything in context, we are going to walk through the the nature-driven nurture framework um, that we use at Instinct. So can you explain what nature-driven nurture is and and why you think it helps people parent their dogs better?
0: Sure. Uh, So... Nature driven nurture as you sort of mentioned it's a dog parenting framework so more than just training it's about training and care and how you nurture your dog and really what it boils down to is it's focused on nature driven nurture is all about helping people gain a deeper understand or deeper understanding of who their dog is as an individual so that they can then optimize how they parent their dogs in a way that works with their dog's individual needs and personality traits. Um, If we want to boil that down a little bit further, which I think we'll probably get into as we go, nature-driven nurture is about looking at the biological factors, individual traits, and past life experiences that make up who your dog is as an individual and then using that to create and manage environments, relationship dynamics, um, wellness routines, and learning experiences that all work with that nature of your individual dog.
1: Yeah, very cool. And 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 so I think you know I I do think that most people understand the concepts of nature and nurture and nature versus nurture. So I, so I think most people have heard of these terms, but you know. Before we get into the, the nurture aspect of the framework, why is nature important to, to understand before we ever start talking about how we nurture dogs?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's um, I think we all know that our dogs are individuals, but that somehow doesn't always translate into how we then approach training and how we approach care. And so taking the time to really step back and say, like, who is my dog? You know, who is this being in my home beyond what treats they like and where their favorite like spot to be scratched is? Um, you know, who, really, who are they? What makes up who they are as an individual? And taking the time to understand that first, to understand The biology to understand the individual traits to understand how that dog's life experiences have shaped how they view the world and how they move through the world is going to dictate the type of parenting and care they need
1: right and 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 it's interesting because i think you know there's a couple things that come to mind Um, so so i know one thing is you know we're talking about biology and traits and life experience. And, um, you know, so it's a, a couple of things that jumped out as interesting to me. And the first one is, you know, with biology and traits using those terms instead of, uh, genetics. So like genetics has a, you know, it's really big in our industry right now and everyone's talking about genetics, but why is it important? Do you think to use the terms biology and traits when, when looking at this?
0: Yeah, fair, fair question. And I would like to preface this by saying I am, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, a geneticist <laughs> or an expert in heritability and biology and all that stuff. But, you know, do have a background in an animal behavior degree and, and have been doing this for a long time. So um, so prefacing it with that statement. But the reason why we talk about biological factors and individual traits and life experiences as part of nature, keeping in mind that this is all very messy and there's really very cute, cl- very few clear cut boundaries. Um, you know, biology influences traits and it influences how we perceive like life experiences and life experiences can influence biology and traits. And it, it's all sort of just this wonderful, messy picture, but breaking it up like that is really nice in terms of structuring or thinking. Um, but getting back to your original question, you know, it's, um, We do have to be very careful when we speak about using the word genetics specifically and sort of what's a genetic trait or characteristic Um, because, you know, there's things that may be heritable that aren't necessarily what we think of as typically like Having a genetic basis. Um, and there's so much more to, and genes are totally regulated by the internal and the external environment. So we're more comfortable using that broader term of biology and having that encompass um, more than just what we might think of as typically, you know, quote unquote genetics. Um, so looking at life stage, looking at sex and reproductive status, looking at breed and looking at family heritage and having that all fall under that biology umbrella um, for us works well for then sort of teasing apart. What does that mean for who this dog is as an individual and, and how they perceive the world? Does that answer your question? Or not yeah, any? no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and I'm sure like a question that, you know, people listening might have is, you know, if my dog does come with, you know, certain biology or, you know, certain traits, you know, are they fixed? You know, like, so, so why are we learning about this? So like, you know, a lot of times in dog training today, it's always about like, we train the dog in front of us and we move forward or, you know, you know, so whatever the problem is, we we address the problem. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. And it sounds like we're actually saying like, stop, that's actually not the best way to approach this. Um, So why, why is it important for someone to understand these aspects of biology and traits before we actually get into the nurture piece.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I kind of got goosebumps when you were talking about it, but it understanding this piece is, is everything about how we move forward. And if we actually break out how we look at this, you know, if we, if we wanted to get into the components and get into nature being, you know, biological factors and individual traits and life experiences, we could pull out and say, well, like, wait a second, you know, according to the definitions of nature and nurture life experiences should be nature or should, should be nurture. And, and that's true. Like life experiences are nurture from the academic sort of scientific definitions of nature and nurture, but for us and for, for dog owners and for us thinking about how we parent our dogs, you know, life experiences to date really do become this indelible part of who we are as individuals and who we view the world. So if we really look at how we, we have structured nature-driven nurture, nature is everything that happened yesterday and in the past. And nurture is today and moving forward. And how on earth do we know how to move forward and provide tailored care if we don't take into account who our dog is and everything they've experienced up until this moment? You know, what they need in terms of environment, environmental design, what they need in terms of wellness, what they need in terms of our relationship focus and relationship dynamics and what they need in terms of learning experiences and how we structure those if we don't take the time to really say who are you and how is that shaped what you need to learn and what you need to feel safe and what you need to sort of develop and grow. Um, so I, you know, move it, this is all about moving forward, but it's about honoring who your dog is and everything they've experienced up until this moment to do that in the most effective, kind, sort of joyful way possible.
1: And I'll kind of put you on the spot here, but can you think of some examples where, you know, common examples that we might see or other trainers might see where, you know, important factors in biology or traits or life experience is going to affect how we actually go into the nurture piece. So, um, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's so many, if we want to start to pull them out. And I think the thing I love about the framework and And as folks see a little bit more detail of some of the subcomponents of biology and of individual individual traits and whatnot, it starts to make it really easy to chart the roadmap and to see how we adjust according to different nature characteristics. So one really simple one is life stage as part of biology, right? How we set up an optimal environment or optimal learning experiences or optimal wellness routines for a puppy versus an adult versus a senior dog look wildly different. And that's when I think folks have a pretty good sense of already and know pretty well, you know, we have to have different wellness routines for a puppy versus an adult because a puppy's bones are still growing. There's only certain things that they can do. They have to eat more often, you know, because they're still developing. There are things we do with, um, socialization or with when we set up the environment, we have baby gates all over our house and you might have pee pads in the corner or you have potty balls on the door and you have um, 10,000 toys around to make sure that their developmental needs and their biology needs are met as a puppy versus as an adult. So that's a really simple example. Um, there's There's a million more, but I think that one probably resonates with a lot of folks. Um, As one example of how a dog's nurture factors, nature factors directly influence how we optimize, how we nurture them.
1: Yeah. And I, and yeah, no, that's great. And I think the, the other thing that's probably crossing people's mind is when you mentioned breed. So I know sometimes talking about breed and, and what that means in terms of, you know, how we, interact with them or work with them or how we think about them you know sometimes it's even a bit of a touchy subject but um sure. you know is there you know so for example if you have a you know jack russell terrier versus a uh, a golden retriever like what are some things that you would start to think e- even just start to again you still have to get to know the individual so that's not again every dog's an individual we, we can't take breed at face value all the time That being said, they've been selectively bred for a long time for specific purposes. So, you know, if you walk into a client or walk in to see a client and, you know, maybe they are working on, you know, potentially maybe let's say like their dog's not coming when called, you know, and you have a Jack Russell who's chasing, you know, little furry things and you might have a golden retriever who's just not listening and tuning people out. But like what, like what, what are. What, what what are ways that breed might impact how you start to to frame the 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 nurture piece
0: sure so yeah and i think i do just want to again preface that by saying it's it's kind of like a sexy piece of nurture but it's or of nature but it's 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 one component and it is one component that will show up and matter to varying degrees based on the individual dog um truly but but also to your point, there have, we have landed on some commonly shared characteristics within a certain percentage of breed or breed group members because of, you know, pretty purposeful selective breeding. And I will say for anyone, for the, the breed group piece specifically, and for anyone who finds that really interesting, um, the book Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy and her legs. Framework has done a wonderful job of diving into that breed piece more so than we do with nature driven nurture, but we still absolutely recognize it as a factor, but they've done a wonderful, she's done a wonderful, wonderful, amazing job of that. So highly encourage folks to go check that out if it's something they find interesting, but yeah, coming back to the ways it sort of maps onto how we might structure nurturing a dog. You know, it's things like for the Jack Russell, it could be something as simple as saying, this is in his ancestry, right? Don't be surprised if he gets really excited about small furry critters and wants to murder them. And that's normal, right? Like what's normal can sort of vary by breed or breed group and to not be alarmed if we see that, but to know that tells us a few things. One is it tells us some natural behaviors that are and instincts that are probably pretty important to him that we have to find appropriate safe outlets for because they're not going anywhere, they're in there. It also tells us some stuff about what his motivators might be when we're thinking about skill development and training. And it also alerts us to areas that we might have to be pretty smart about how we set up environmental design to impede performing those behaviors maybe when we don't want them to, to be performed and to uh encourage them to to come again like thinking about motivators to encourage them to do what we'd like to do um and do what's behaviorally healthy for them i'm just chuckling cuz the terrier examples are always good ones um
1: and, and for anyone listening we're not judging terriers we have We've had multiple rat terriers over the years. So that was part of the reason why uh, I brought that up. So we, we, you know, and I think the longer we've had them, the more you just start to understand like that is, you know, all of our rat terriers have loved to chase squirrels and little furry things and um, some with different intensities than others. But um, there's no judgment on the terrier folks who are listening. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no certainly not i think uh, yeah and so i think again it's one component of of many 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 components and breed tendencies or breed specific tendencies may show up in some dogs more than others but just knowing having a bit of background and understanding about what might show up and not being alarmed if you see it but knowing how to structure your environments and your wellness routines and your training potentially around that is really helpful.
1: Yeah. You know, we want to look
0: at things like beagles and knowing that they're probably going to always shout their discoveries, right? (laughs) Like I have discovered something wonderful (laughs) and that's, that's not a bad thing. It's part of who they are and they're probably going to really enjoy sniffing and they're probably going to find that like a really intrinsically rewarding, reinforcing behavior. So best we provide them ways to do that and use it again to facilitate, like how do we use that to actually give them more freedom and to make sure they're instinctually, instinctually fulfilled um, and all that good stuff. So yeah, we could talk about it more. I think it's easy to get sucked down the rabbit hole of, of breed. But if we just say like, it's, it's on the same level as life, super important. It's like life stage, you know, it's like reproductive status. It's, it's one of many factors that can show up in different areas and within the framework of nature driven nurture, it may just inform how we set up our nurture routines. Yes. You know, yeah. To support them.
1: Yeah. And then before we before we move on to nurture uh, in, in terms of the life experiences that is under nature, um, which, again, can, can it might seem like a little confusing, but I think it's like it does make sense why it's in there because it's everything up to today. And yesterday's, you know, nurture can you know become part of their nature. But um, mm-hmm. is, like, are there some examples or an example where life experiences is, is like it's going to make you think differently before you start working with a dog?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, um, and this comes back to this whole nature is messy and what we're particularly interested in, interested, interested in, excuse me, is there are some life experiences that can be particularly impactful, not only on a dog's sort of worldview and, and their learned behavior strategies, but also on actually impacting their biology and their physiology and individual traits. And that can be things like, you know, early development and what sort of maternal care did they have or what sort of um, rearing environment did they have and was it barren or was it enriched and they had access to different like surfaces and noises and stimuli and whatnot because that can actually have a very real, like physical, but very real impact on, on development. And on a dog's ability later in life to cope with stress and how they how likely they are to perceive threats and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, things like that really matter, stuff like trauma can have a really lasting impact on a dog and how they learn and cope moving forward. And that might impact, you know, what we recommend or the guidance we provide an owner in terms of the importance of when we talk about environment really working hard to manage exposure to stressors because you probably do because of those life experiences, have a sensitive soul, right? Have someone who's pretty sensitive to stress. And so how do we manage that environment to really minimize harmful exposures to stress? And certainly we can work on skill development and whatnot, but we we also might need to tap into the the wellness aspect of nurture and say, you know, do we go down a, a veterinary medicine path here to help this dog because they have some compromised abilities to cope? So um, those are some examples, you know, multiple instance of instances of rehoming, things like that. Certainly there's lots of positive life experiences that impact a dogs' nature as well. Um, the ones for us that sort of come to mind in terms of being mindful about uh, setting up an appropriate nurture environment of some, are some of those ones that could potentially have had lasting negative impacts when it comes to the dog's worldview and, and how they move through the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So then, so really then if we kind of take a, as we move into to the nurture piece here, so with nature, we're looking at the biology pieces. We are looking at the, um, you know, the, the the traits we're looking at um, life experience. And so we want to make sure we have a good understanding of that and, then we move into the nurture piece. And, um, again, I think most people understand nurture. And I, I think, I guess my, my question is I think most people would consider dog training today as like a nurture component or like, you know, that, that they're nurturing their dog through training. But in terms of, in terms of this framework, how how does it differ from, you know, traditional dog training or does it?
0: Sure. Yeah. And it, um, it does. Um, absolutely um, and nurture nurture if we think about it as a concept is all about how do we how do we care for and protect and foster the development of another being and that is what we're doing with our dogs I mean we are essentially parenting them they're, they're Dependent family members in our home, Um, and so this word "nurture" really resonated for us. About what really are we helping people do? And we're helping them nurture their dogs. We're helping them protect their well-being and facilitate their growth and development, and make sure all their needs are met. Um, A part of that is is what we think of as sort of typical training, Um, but with a little bit of a different lens on it. Potentially. Um, so when we talk about nurture, it really is boiled down into four main buckets that then have sub components underneath them. And it's how do we set up environments, relationship dynamics, wellness routines and learning experiences that enable the dog to participate in daily life with people peacefully and happily and that protect their overall behavioral health. Um, So that learning component is where sort of traditional dog training would typically fall.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and, and and what, and so I I would agree. So like the like traditional dog training is like one bucket of four and um, it's an important bucket, but what's interesting is like there's these other three that sometimes get overlooked and, um, like you said, like the, the environment piece, the relationship piece and the wellness piece, um, and maybe, and maybe we can just kind of touch on these for a second. So, sure. um, so what, so what, when we talk about environmental design, you know, yep. what does that mean other than, you know, having dog toys and, yes. you know, maybe f- food puzzles and those types of things like what, like, what are the types of things that people should keep in mind when, um, like, you know, designing an environment.
0: Yes, good, good question, and and I it's a, I think it's an important one to clarify. And I would just like to say, out of the gate, as we get into defining it, it's so much more than like dog toys and food puzzles. Um, and so it can refer directly to like home setup, but it also refers to how you navigate your neighborhood, the types of equipment you might use. Like it's really everything sort of external that your dog experiences and how you can play with that to uh, basically tailor toward four objectives. So if we want to get into this and how we think about environment, you know, environment is for any trainer folks who are listening or for anyone who's listening who's a dog owner, but maybe has a background in like education fields or occupational therapy or whatever it might be. Environment is not everything, but it is a lot Um, it is so critical in determining or, you know, playing into certain behavioral outcomes. It really is what sets the stage for behavior to occur. And it's one of those things where we could take two, we could take two individuals and put them in one environment with conditions that are optimized for their nature and that support maybe their learning goals. And we could put them in another environment that does the opposite of that. And we will get wildly different outcomes, not be be, there with the same individuals. Um, It's so, so important. And I think um, focusing on this piece for people can relieve a lot of frustration and stress about things not working. A lot of times it's the environment that's not working. Has nothing to do with their dog or with them not trying hard enough, you know, it just, there's, there are environmental hurdles getting in the way. And so if we break that down and we look at, well, what are the things we're actually trying to achieve for us? We, we include four objectives, four main objectives in nature driven nurture. One is focused on minimizing harmful exposure to stressors and threats in the environment. Uh, Because if we're, we're, if our dog is frequently experiencing stressors, you know, not only is that bad for them for a whole bunch of reasons related to health in terms of what that means for chronic stress, but it also means their ability to learn is, is compromised. Um, There's a whole lot of bad outcomes that come along with being chronically stressed and being chronically exposed to too many stressors in your environment. So that's one, minimizing exposure to stressors, not eliminating. I do want to call that out. You know, that's not the goal. That wouldn't even be an optimal outcome. Stress is like a normal, healthy part of life to a certain degree, but minimizing those harmful exposures is super important. The second objective is providing access to safe outlets for natural behaviors. And if we, I'm, I'm not sure if we'll get into it, but if anyone's sort of learning more diving into some of the additional nature driven nurture resources that will give natural behaviors or all those like instinctive behaviors or innate drives that are just so, so important for dogs to perform, to just feel okay moving through life and not be frustrated and, and, um, and unfulfilled. So using the environmental design, and this does play into a little bit things like having toy boxes and having comfy resting places and having easy access to natural environments to go sniff and explore and forage and all that good stuff. That's our second one. So we have minimize exposure to stressors, provide access to safe outlets for natural behaviors. And then our other two sort of go together. And these ones are especially important for anyone who's Trying to work toward behavior change of some sort, whether it's learning new skills or whether it's changing an unwanted or harmful behavior. And that setting up the environment, this is nothing you actively are doing, but setting up the environment to facilitate good choices or desired behaviors and to impede unwanted or unsafe behaviors. Um, so those are our four objectives. I don't know if we want to get into. Examples of them, but those are those are huge, and if if they can be done well, they make a world of difference in uh, creating sort of a safe, low friction environment for everyone.
1: Yeah, I think um, if there was, I mean, that all makes sense, and I I do think if we could take even if just a minute or two, maybe to to talk through an example where environment setup is is important.
0: Uh, yes, and would you like to do? Um, just sort of a quick example for each of the objectives, maybe? Yeah, sure. Or, Okay. Um, so I think when we think about minimizing exposure to stressors, and again, this comes back to it's based on the individual, right? What, what your individual dog is going to perceive as stressful or threatening is based on their biology, their individual traits, and their past experiences. So knowing that it can be as varied as your dog's getting a little older they're getting some arthritis, they're feeling more uncomfortable, all of a sudden, or over the past few months, they find walking on your hardwood floors really stressful every day. They don't have great traction. It feels kind of slippy and unsteady, slippery and unsteady. And so that's a stressor in their life that may not have been there six months, a year, two years before. Um, I think is a nice one, you know, we can think about obvious things like a, a really noise sensitive dog moving to the city. And like moving to an urban environment and being faced with a ton of stimulation and noise on walks. Um, So all kinds of different examples and thinking through how could we make that better, right? How could we reduce the intensity or frequency of these exposures? And for something like the senior dog, it might be a matter of putting carpet runners down for them, right? And you've just made their environment far more pleasant and far less stressful for them just from that one thing. With the noise-sensitive dog, it might be like we go out at certain times of day, we stick to quieter streets, we make a point to get in our car and go to the park instead of walking down one of the main avenues. So that's an example of minimize, or those are a couple examples of minimizing exposure to stressors that hopefully help people kind of target their thinking in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Providing safe outlets to natural instinctive behaviors. I think we may have sort of touched on this one, but it can be simple things like, again, making sure you really do have toys and bones and chews readily available. Um, That chewing, gnawing behavior is so important for just dogs, not breed specific, just as a domestic dog behavior. Um, Same thing with creating really comfy, desirable, comfy for the dog, desirable resting places that allow them to go hang out because about 30% of a dog's time budget is spent with just being restfully awake. So making sure they have nice, easy access to do that. So th- those are just a few super simple examples there. Um, and then the, uh, the facilitating um, good behaviors and impeding unwanted behaviors. Uh, you know, this could be something like, I don't know, maybe we have a dog who jumps all over you when you walk in the door after work right? Potentially. And so to facilitate desired behaviors, one of the things we might want to do is just put a treat jar and a mat right by the door so that when you walk in, you can start dropping treats on the mat and that's where the dog goes instead of jumping all over you. But let's say you have like a really enthusiastic dog and they just can't help themselves and they just try to do it. Well, we say, well, how can we set up the environment to make that unwanted behavior more difficult. And maybe it's that you end up temporarily putting like a little airlock in front of the door, a little, a little extra gate there. So they can't actually get all the way to you. You still have the tree jar. You still have the little mat. You can still reward them where you want them to be, but all of a sudden jumping on you isn't really an option anymore. Does that help?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's going to help people understand that environment, environmental piece. So Um, the, 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 the next one is I think probably fascinating to a lot of people. Um, and it's the relationship component. And, um, I find this really fascinating and it's definitely something that, you know, in a lot of cases where it seems like, you know, there's things that need to be adjusted in the relationship first before, you know, any other training is really going to be effective or, or, or take place. And, you know, so even assuming like we look at, we look at the nature, we set up the environment right. We, now we look up. Now we look at the relationship. What what are what does that mean? Because I mean, I know everyone has a relationship with their dog. I would imagine anyone listening to this podcast loves their dog, and their dog loves them. But what? But w- what are the like? What are aspects of the relationship piece that are important for people to keep in mind and maybe you know work on?
0: Yeah, and this this is a hard one to talk about sometimes because it's such a personal thing. And it's, as you just said, I mean, we all love our dogs so much and no one ever would want to hear, Hey, you have a bad relationship with your dog. And that's why a lot of what we talk about within nature driven nurture is relationship dynamics. What sort of dynamic do we need to set up between you and your dog to help them feel safe and feel secure, um, and feel connected to you. And I do agree with him. I think we can't, it's difficult to overstate the importance of relationship and of building the right relationship dynamic. So for us, um, you know, this is not about, this is not about being alpha (laughs) or any of those kinds of terms, but there is a leadership element. But for us, when we talk about leadership and what type of dynamic relationship dynamic we want to help, help people foster with their dogs, is that you are viewed as a safe, predictable, helpful leader. And if we break down each of those traits, (laughs) the way we say them is like a little mantra and instinct, but it's, I am a safe human. I do no harm. I I am a predictable human. I respond in a reliable manner. And I am a helpful human. I provide useful guidance and support. So to us, those are the relationship dynamics that we're striving for. To create a dynamic where a dog feels safe and secure, and has that connection that they're seeking as a social mammal.
1: Yeah, and, and it's definitely important for especially people. I think dealing with tricky behavior issues, which a lot of times can just be, you know, really frustrating, or um, you know, or you live or you live in a tough environment or whatever. And and sometimes I think that you know sometimes it can be difficult to to always be predictable and always to you know to to be safe and and do what what the dog needs to do and so i think it's always important yeah. to to realize that and that that doesn't mean you're a bad person but it does mean that mm-hmm. you know especially if you're dealing with stuff that's challenging you know there there might be things that you need you might need to take a step back and change you know how you're interacting in that relationship because otherwise, if it's, if you don't do that, like the amount of stress and other things that it's probably going to cause to the dog is, is probably going to erode any potential progress you're going to make on the the behavior and training piece.
0: Yeah, no, well said. And I think that, you know, we're all human, like <laughs> yes, we're never going to perfect at this. And I think the other piece that nature driven nurture helps us recognize is this isn't about heaping all of the blame on you. As an individual, if you're not perfectly predictable, perfectly helpful all the the time, it's about also acknowledging that some dogs, based on their biology, based on their individual traits, based on their past life experiences especially, may have entered into your relationship already totally predisposed to potentially view you or all humans as a hazard you know, to potentially view you or all humans as not particularly helpful or useful, uh, based on that nature. And if that's the case, how do we proceed forward? And how do we do the best job we can to facilitate their view of us as a safe, predictable, helpful human?
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. And I, I also feel like too, it's it's actually one of the more fun aspects of it is uh, of of the nurture side because even if you you know, even if you feel stuck in your relationship with your dogs, you know, if you work with a professional, a lot of times they can make adjustments where if you really make an effort to change those things, and this takes time, you're not, you know, it's just like with people, you're not going to fix a relationship in two days. That might've had, that might've been a little rocky for some time, but if you can actually put that effort in, again, setting up the environment so it's easier for you and the dog, um, you know, over time that can pay such big dividends and, You know, a lot of times, like if you get the relationship in the right spot or like if you if you are fortunate enough to to have a dog where you had a really great relationship with them from the beginning, it's going to get you through a lot of things that might be more challenging um, or or that that would have that would like that normally would be challenging for a dog. But if they have that strong relationship with you, it's going to get you through hurdles um, in a way where if you don't have that, it's 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 not going to be there.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, everything from sort of facilitating learning and increasing responsiveness to actually helping to compensate, not not a replacement for but actually, as you said, like helping to compensate for a tricky environment or for a dog who maybe has some compromised health and wellness stuff going on. It just, it can really be that anchor for them that just sort of keeps them feeling safe and secure, um, Absolutely. And I I mean, I, I love this relationship stuff. And I think, again, just as we as we move on from it, knowing that if that relationship is sort of fractured, or it's challenging, again, taking into account that, like, as we already spoke about your dog, your dog's nature can play a big role in this. And a lot of this is about optimizing, right? It's not even saying, like, what you've been doing is wrong. It's saying, we can do something different for your individual super unique dog to tailor your actions in a way that just do a better job, like pr- positioning you as a safe, predictable, helpful human. So I love that. I, I love this piece of it. It was just really saying like, what we do is dependent on the dog in front of us and who they are and what they need. Um, it's not all about you living up to some, you know, like one ideal standard of what it means to be a leader to a dog. That's going to look different for every, for every dog.
1: Yeah. And like, if you, and if you have like multiple dogs in your household, how you interact with them could be drastically different because that's what they need.
0: Exactly. They're all, you're always going to be kind. You're always going to be striving towards being safe, predictable and helpful, but exactly how that manifests in day-to-day life is going to look different based on the dog. and and, there's a really systematic way of doing that and figuring out what needs to be changed or tweaked within the framework, which I love
1: yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. well, that's good well, I you know that's a uh, yeah su- super interesting piece and that, and that sort of leads us into the last two, which is wellness and the behavior and training so sure. or, or the so I'm sorry the the uh, the learning um, yep. but in terms of wellness I, I I feel like most people probably have a pretty good idea of this um mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like you know, diet and exercise and, you know, those types of things. But what what are the things with wellness that maybe people aren't thinking about?
0: Sure. Yeah. And it, it is, it's true. We actually use a very similar wellness definition to what what you would use in, in, in terms of human wellness. It's about making sure that your dog's physical, emotional, mental, and social health are are nurtured to a point where they can just feel like comfortable and fulfilled as they move through daily life. And the components we break that down into, and I'm going to guess we'll probably stay fairly high level with these are exercise um, enrichment or natural behavior outlets. Um, Again, more than food puzzles, not that food puzzles aren't good, (laughs) but more than food puzzles. I'm really tapping into as a species and potentially as a breed or breed group, what types of natural behavior outlets do they need? um, to feel safe and not feel frustrated. Um, sleep, a big one for people and dogs, uh, alone time, primarily be, not because there's something, you know, inherent about a dog where it's like, they need to be alone to, to be okay. But because spending time alone is a part of being able to exist successfully, um, in a human world. So alone time is part of that. Uh, and then health care, which encompasses, you know, veterinary care and um, uh, things like nutrition and at home grooming and all that kind of stuff. So that's uh, that's wellness. And I think really helping people understand that the reason for doing that, I think when we hear wellness, sometimes we do. To your point, just think of like exercise and, and feeding our dogs out of food, food toys And it's really, it is more than that. And the benefits are more than that. It really is about helping to reduce sort of destructive or disruptive behavior that can arise when a dog's basic wellness needs just aren't met. met. And it does make learning easier. Right. It does facilitate progress if you have specific training goals that you're you're working toward. And that just does make them happy. <laughs> like that's the benefit we mostly think of it, but it does increase happiness and overall well-being. So um those are the those are the five elements um that we include under wellness for our dogs. And are there any specific areas, Brian, that you wanted me to to talk
1: no, about? I think no, I think that's great. I think that's okay. um I, I think that's a great overview for this. And And that leads us to our last bucket.
0: (laughs) Yeah, last bucket, which is learning or life skills and behavior therapy. Um, And so we finally are talking about dog training.
1: Yes. (laughs) Right.
0: But talking about dog training in terms of what skills and abilities does the dog need based on their nature and based on your goals to... to share their life with you peacefully and happily, right? Like how do we give them the appropriate amount of freedom? How do we include them in our lives in a way that they're comfortable doing so? And so when we talk about learning, we break it down really into life skills. And then for some dogs, behavior therapy. And so life skills is all about just like what it sounds like, but building certain competencies that dogs do need to have the freedom to take part in life with you. So things like we, we do patient and polite skills, which is just that overall ability to sort of exhibit impulse control and be thoughtful around things like food and toys and doorways and people and other dogs, um, settling skills. So being able to just kind of chill out and relax and hang out, whether they're home alone, whether they're home with you or whether you're out in public um, leash skills, because leashes are a reality in our modern life you know, it's, there are leash laws and your dog's going to have to be on a leash. So making sure that they're comfortable moving in sync with you. Um, and the leash isn't a source of frustration or confusion or anxiety. Uh, and then off leash skills, or depending on the dog's nature, long line skills. And that's really all about, that one is really for the dog. It's all about being able to afford them the freedom of movement and the freedom to engage in some really important natural behaviors to just keep them. Happy and fulfilled and, and living a joyful life. Um, and then the other component of learning is behavior therapy. Um, sometimes people might call this behavior modification. We're talking about sort of the same thing. Um, and this is for dogs who have, you know, fear or anxiety or aggression issues or maybe hyperarousal issues. And for these dogs, you know, for all dogs, but especially for these dogs. The environment and relationships and wellness pieces are huge. And the life skills piece is huge, too. And sometimes for folks, I think within our industry, if we have dogs come in with fear, anxiety, aggression, a lot of professionals, especially behavior professionals, will absolutely focus on environmental management and whatnot. Um, but that life skills piece continues to be really important for these dogs because it's giving them basic competencies that they need to just move through the world. Um, but behavior therapy is things like doing specific desensitization and counter conditioning around certain triggers to help change a dog's emotional response. Um, or it might be taking a more sort of constructional approach and actually helping the dog build some skills where they have deficits, deficits related to like social communication and whatnot, um so that's what we think of that goes in the learning bucket um and your dog's nature is going to influence like what do they like so how do we motivate them and how old are they so how much time can they pay attention and what's fair to ask of them in terms of levels of distraction and are there any health issues so we should avoid repetitive movements like every part of them is going to shape how you teach and the types of learning experiences or educational experiences that you provide them um and then I, I'm getting carried away with myself. So I'll stop <laughs> I'll stop for a second, pause and see if there's any questions.
1: No, no, I think that's great. And I, cause I think that, you know, kind of, g- it gets us all the way to the training piece and it's like, and I think what like it, it is important because again, I, I do think when people work with dog trainers or do dog training, they jump to that last piece. And then us as professionals, a lot of times when we come into consults, like we are actually thinking about. You know, again, those nature pieces, and then all like, um, like the 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 biology and the traits and the life experience. How is that going to affect what we do? Yeah. And then even before we get to the training, like, what do? How do we have to set up the environment to facilitate behavior, uh, the behaviors we want, and, and, and impede the ones that we don't want? What are the relationships? Um, is like, is the relationship good and strong, or is there opportunity for? It might it might still be really good, but are there opportunities for adjustments? What, what do we have to do on the wellness side of things? Again, taking into all, all of the nature stuff and looking at all of that, then moving into now we're going to start doing the training, but it's not even just as simple as we're just teaching like leash walking or sits or downs or stays. We have to consider all of those other things and they and they should influence how we're doing that. So I think that that's like a a really good overview. and And I think that sort of leads me to my next question is, you know, for people out there who, you know, are listening to this and kind of learning about this framework for, for the first time yeah. um, and maybe thinking about things a little bit differently, if they, if there's someone struggling right now with like behavior or training issues, like yeah. what's something like, I know it's hard, but like, what's, like, what's one or one or two big things that maybe they should keep in mind, you know, as they're kind of embarking on this journey with their dog.
0: Yeah. Um, oh. It's a tough one. Um, I think I know it's a little bit cliche, but I think probably the whole like progress not perfection is a really good thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind in terms of knowing like you you know this is not about moving forward and doing everything just so or pre- expecting that of your dog either. Um, I think like starting small, and this is probably getting a little too tactical, but anytime there's a lot of Oh, there's some like serious struggle going on related to a dog's behavior, both for the dog and for the person. Um, I do think that the first objective always is how do we, as creative as we need to be, how do we start with that environment piece first, truthfully, and try to create an environment where we are minimizing stress exposures and conflict as well like between the relationship and that might seem like there's usually a way to do it you might need someone's help to do it like you might need the help of a professional to do it but until you can sort of give yourself and your dog the ability to press pause and just like take a breath it's really hard to jump into any sort of behavior modification or whatnot as we would typically think about it. So I do think that environment piece as a starting point is huge. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, and then I also, I I think for me, the, the other thing is like, your dog is an individual and you could have got another dog and did all of the same things and your dog would not have had any of those problems. Like, and we, I've seen it happen. Like we see people where they had multiple dogs and the dogs are doing wonderful. They get a dog who's just different and that doesn't work for them. Um, you know, I've seen fellow trainers who are wonderful trainers mm-hmm. get dogs where their environment or just isn't the right fit, you know, or, or isn't that, you should say the right fit, but like it's a more, it's more challenging for them. So I think it's important where if you are struggling, I think you are the path forward for sure but there's so much of this that is like like that is out of you know that we don't have control over and so and that is going to influence their behavior. and so we have to be smart about how we move forward. Um, but always just remembering that you know so so much of this is is out of our control and kind of relieving yourself of that guilt because a lot of people do feel guilt, I think is um, it's just it's just important to realize every, every dog is different and most of the time it isn't it's not it's not like you're intentionally doing anything wrong but there's things that we can do to move forward and and um so that's something i always think is important for people to know
0: yes absolutely well said cool. definitely cool. agree um and i think this is not related i think I, I would like to say this and maybe it's can be part of a sort of a wrap-up thought maybe i can wait until there's a if there, i'm not sure i have any questions for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're almost done so you go oh, ahead okay. Um, I'll I'll, I'll maneuver around you. (laughs)
0: Um, This is not related to that question, but I do think it's related to just sort of as people, um, if if people find this interesting and they sort of step back and like, it it, it is a bit of a new way of thinking about your dog and, you know, stopping striving towards this sort of like, (sighs) our dogs are here for a really short period of like too short a time. And I think um it's really um it's really if we accept it doesn't mean we don't have necessarily have training goals or things we want to work on or help them with, but really actually accepting your dog for who they are and, and letting go of this idea of who you think they should be, or and I said, like or who you thought they would be before they came into your life is it's really freeing and it really can let you let go of a lot of baggage and actually just love your dog and focus on how you nurture them appropriately. Cause
1: mm-hmm. they're not here long enough yes.
0: <laughs> to spend years trying I- to shape them into someone they're not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um. <laughs> yeah, I think that's tough because, <laughs> you know, I think I think back uh, to my okay. earlier trading days, and it's like definitely did that, you know, mm-hmm. and one of my one of my bigger regrets. Um. So, yeah, yeah, that's that was a punch the gut, but it was, a, it was a it was it was an important <laughs> no, it's but it but it is important because I I, I think that's why. I'm so passionate about this and glad we're doing this in this first episode and setting this up this, this season this way, because, you know, I think we have the privilege of like, I've, have, have actually worked with tens of thousands of dogs that people don't have. And, and so you start to understand, like, not, not, not it's, yeah, you just embrace who they are and help them. Yeah, <laughs> it's like,
0: absolutely. And, and I've and, wondered about that sometimes too, about like that that really just sort of, I don't know, like that magic connection between like senior dogs and their owners. And part of it's because they've known each other for a really long time, but I often wonder if part of it's because generally at that stage of a dog's life, you just accept them for who they are. (laughs) Yes. Right. And you give them what they need and you tailor their environment accordingly. And you just love the being that they are. And I think that sort of that acceptance just, it makes it so much easier to, to just move forward and, and help them. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. i um, glad you brought that up. Um, cool. Well, that's good. And I think um, you kind of answered it, which is my, my next question was, was going to be, if, if you had this framework before you were a trainer or, or as a pet owner, how would it have affected you? Um, or what would you have done differently? And I think that's, that was probably your answer. So Yes. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, well, the, the last thing is, um, you know, um, so we're making the mini guide to nature driven nurture. We're, we're going to put that out there that that'll be in the lesson notes. Um, but for, for those who may want to continue like with the more in-depth course um, again, there the details in, in, in the lesson notes that it's the course and the, the, the included the Facebook group and live drop in Q and A's every couple of weeks. But for people who are who, who are considering signing up for that, like what, what are you hoping that they get out of it?
0: Well, I hope I I my hope is that people will get varying degrees of value out of it depending what they're looking for. I think as sort of a baseline, I really hope that everyone is able to walk away and think about their dog and their dog's role as a family member and what that means in terms of their role as a dog parent looks like. Um, So I think that's sort of baseline. And then truthfully for folks who come into that course, it's not a training course, right? It's not like a how to teach XYZ skills, but it will actually provide people and I hope people who come in with certain maybe training or behavior change goals actually do walk away with a very solid roadmap of how to build a nature driven nurture program for themselves and how to think about those various components. So different levels there, but yeah, Yeah. that's my hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing too, is uh, I'm hoping that, you know, in, in addition to that, like having the community of people going through this and seeing people who are you know, struggling with the same things that you are or celebrating milestones or those types of things, like being a part of that and kind of working through this framework, I think is something that is, is going to be really nice to see as well. So, yeah.
0: um, wonderful. I hope people walk away feeling like they have there, they have experienced something different and that's something they want to go share with other people. Right. Is that really rethinking like how we think about dogs as family members and what that means in terms of their needs and, um, really just sort of joining in this whole movement of, yeah, moving away from obedience and compliance and, and only, and thinking about, yeah, how do we nurture our dogs?
1: Great. Well, we're just about the hour mark. So I think that was all of my questions. Um, And and Kitty, Kitty's ready now. Has announced that it's dinner time, so. (laughs) That's a perfect time to end. So. All right. Well, thanks. Um, all right. So I to, uh, n- nothing else to add? Nope. I think that's all for now. Lots more to come. Cool. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye.